Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. On today's show, we're going to talk about the sharing economy and recent numbers that were released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. We have Jared Meyer, Senior Fellow at the Foundation for Government Accountability and an adoptive member of the Tech Freedom family joining us. Jared, thank you for being here. Great to be back on. So Jared, you recently testified in front of Congress on this issue, uh, and we are very happy to have you on to enlighten our listeners the same way you enlightened, hopefully, the members of Congress. So what is the recent survey the Bureau of Labor Statistics did? So it's something called the Contingent Worker Supplement to the monthly current population survey. And just for any of the listeners who haven't tuned out yet from me listing boring acronyms and names of surveys, what it found was that there are fewer independent contractors today than there were in the year 2005. How does that make sense? It doesn't. And I think there's a lot of problems with this survey and how it's measuring, but it led to a lot of people in the media when this survey came out saying that the sharing economy is dead. It's over. We've reached peak sharing economy years ago, and now people are just transitioning back to traditional work. So people who have been enemies of this type of independent entrepreneurial work, they were rejoicing when the survey came out. So I was welcoming the chance to testify for Congress and set the record straight, showing that this isn't the final word. So what committee was it in front? Uh, Education and Workforce, a subcommittee on there. And so uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty, how important is the Bureau of Labor Statistics? What are they a part of? Why do they exist? Well, actually, someone else on the panel, Michael Farron at Mercatus Center, was testifying on the history of the Bureau of Labor Statistics and all the other data they provide. I know as someone who primarily researches labor economics, I use BLS data almost on a daily basis. They're practically were viewed as the gold standard among economists for their comprehensive research and their approach to surveys, which is why I had such a problem with the contingent worker supplement when it was released. It's not that they're lying. The data they found is correct, and I trust it, but they're taking too narrow of a view of independent work, and that's what's leading to now all the cries of the death of the sharing economy. So all these cries, what are they based on, aside from the numbers? So (laughs) the main thing is just saying that Right now, with the employment market so strong, maybe people are switching back to full-time employment, which is something that I could see tying in and making the part-time gig flexible work that is hallmark of the sharing economy less appealing for people. But like I said, the main finding was that fewer Americans are working as contractors today than they were in the past. But the survey only looked at people if they made the majority of their income from independent contractor work. So, for example, someone like me who does a lot of contractor work on the side, I wouldn't be counted because I make more money from my full-time employee, FGA. My personal experience is every time I chat with my Lyft or Uber driver or the guy who comes to put together my IKEA bed because I don't want to try. I don't even want to try, okay, listeners? Uh, They all say that that's just their side hustle. Sometimes they work one or two days a week. Sometimes they work only during big um, sporting events or holidays when the surge numbers go, you know, over the roof. So if this survey didn't count them and you, that means that a huge amount of contractors, independent contractors are left out, right? You've got it right. And I mean, 
So let me just point out that the CWS, that contingent worker supplement, it wasn't released for 13 years. So the latest data we had was from 2005 before the new release came out. And like I said, there are fewer workers in full time or majority income independent contractor positions than there were back then. But as you were just saying, that's that's not a complete picture of the workforce. And that's not really that useful for policymakers who need access to comprehensive, up to date data as they talk about things like worker classification status or collective bargaining agreements or how uh, we can provide health care to people who don't get it through their employers. These are all debates that need solid data. So I was happy to see that during the testimony it wasn't very confrontational with me. I was just saying we need good data and we need to fully measure the scope of independent work, which is much, much larger than the CWS found. So why were, do you know, is there any information out there, maybe intel and gossip uh, on why for 13 years there was no um, release of this information? It, the Bureau of Labor Statistics said it was a funding problem. But I could see that the public pressure, I think it was a funding problem at first. They used to release it every two years from, I think, 95 to 2001. Then they went three years uh, and then it just kind of tapered off there. And I think people forgot about it. But the rise of the gig economy, which started way before, you know, even the 2000s, it's really just about people being able to connect with each other over the Internet and have lower transaction costs when doing deals. Even though that started a while ago, the prof- high profile rise of companies like Uber and Airbnb is what I think put enough public pressure back on the BLS to release this data because businesses use it as well. It's not just policy people like us or government. This is what businesses use to understand how the workforce is changing, not to mention investors. It's fascinating that people who don't support sharing economy or development of sharing economy are using these numbers, though, because they haven't been out for 13 years when Airbnb and Uber and all of these platforms developed and, you know, uh, kind of emerged in the market. And then they're using this very crippled, one-sided numbers to say sharing economy is over. If it's over, with that logic, we can just say, well, get off of it. (laughs) Stop stop trying to regulate it. You know, it's over. Sharing economy is gone. You know, ding dong, the witch is dead. Like, let's move on. Let people be. Well, I think the real reason is no one actually believes this. I mean, sure, there might have been a few gullible journalists who followed on uh, the anti-sharing economy push. But do you honestly think there are fewer people freelancing today than in 2005, two years before the first iPhone came out? Like, that's just not the case. And during that 13 year gap, there were countless other academic organizations, industry groups, consulting groups, other government agencies, all trying to estimate this growth in independent work. And while the estimates differed depending on their definitions, they all agreed that it was growing and being driven by independent contractor status. Estimates, I say, mostly fell between the 15% of the workforce to 30% of the workforce range. So when all of a sudden you get BLS coming in and saying it's fewer than 7% of workers, that's a major hole that needs to be plugged and corrected for the next time they do this survey. What would be your recommendations uh, that I know you voiced some of them in front of the Congress? What would be your recommendations moving forward? Well, they can keep the same questions they had right now so that we can have comparable panel data looking back. But I think they also need to measure people who use independent work or alternative work arrangements, as they're referred to in the survey, for supplemental income. So if we could get additional questions that maybe ask someone rather than the majority of your income, just say, did you earn over X number of dollars last year working as a contractor or freelancing? 
I threw out the number $600 because that's what the IRS uses to trigger reporting of 1099 income for firms. Uh, but I mean, just something to show rather than a percent of income as triggering, just set an earnings threshold. And secondly, you know that a lot of this sharing economy work is seasonal because it's flexible. Like when you're working on your own and doing it as a side hustle, you have a million reasons to not work the next day. You have other things that could come up. You have other priorities. Then you have all those reasons to double down and work extra in certain weeks. So the survey only asked about work done in the previous week. That's not going to give you a full picture. If you had a teacher who was freelancing as a math tutor over the summer, if the survey wasn't done when she was doing the freelancing, wouldn't count her. Or if you had a construction worker who was you know, teaching ski instructions over the winter, he wouldn't be counted in this survey, which looked at May data. So I think moving it to a full year, asking, did you do independent contractor work and earn over $600 in the previous year? That's really what I want to see. And also, I just like it to come out more than once every 13 years. I mean, this is an important part of the economy. And I think getting back to at least that biannual publication that they had during the late 90s would be beneficial. So, Jared, you mentioned uh, the funding problem, which was cited as a reason for not having this report issued for 13 years. Would you support... um raising funding, giving more funding to the Bureau so they can do that work? I'm not an expert on how the BLS spends their funds or what's been happening to their funds. But I mean, if it would allow them to do more surveys like this that are critical to getting good public policy, then I'd support that. So if if they can show a case that they need this to be able to get and continue to produce the strong statistical data that they provide for markets, then I say why not? The critics of sharing economy in general say that people who have to turn to it are underprivileged, they are paid low wage, and their life is miserable, and they have to do on top of that this extra hours just to make the ends meet, and they're not protected. They don't have a lot of guarantees, health insurance, um, you know, just liability all over themselves. For example, Uber drivers have a lot of liability on themselves. That's that kind of criticism that um, sharing economy faces on an everyday basis. What would you um, say to that? Well, I can say that in the CWS, we got some interesting data. It actually showed that who they defined as independent contractors, again, people who earn the majority of their income from independent contractor work, are as secure in their jobs as people who work traditional full-time employment. And this is what's known as a contingent worker status. That's why it's called the contingent worker survey. They ask these alternative workers, do you expect your job to last? Are you working a temporary job? Do you expect to be you know, unemployed soon? And 3% of the independent contractors said that they were contingent. And again, 3% of traditional workers said it. So the whole idea that if someone doesn't have a boss telling them what time to come into work and having them punch a time card, that they are completely insecure and we need to make sure that that work arrangement doesn't exist. That's not what the data shows. Even more interesting, the median weekly earnings for full-time contractors were $851, which is right in line with workers in traditional work arrangements. And part-time contractors actually made more money than uh, part-time employees. And I think that's probably because of the whole incentive of picking your own hours. They can then work more. 
But it also showed that education status pretty much lines up between all workers and those who work as the uh, majority income independent contractors. So while this doesn't answer every question about gig workers, and I'd like to see more data on it, what it does show is that independent contractor status isn't some terrible thing that needs to be avoided. It's something that workers want. And to that point on the survey, only 9% of independent contractors said that they'd rather have a traditional work arrangement. So this is something that workers want. Going to a more high level on sharing economy. Sharing economy is still, in my opinion, browsing through media landscape and just talking to people has a good rep overall because it creates a lot of very efficient and cheaper ways for people to get things done, to travel, to um you know, hire other people to do tasks they don't want to do, like putting together an Ikea bed. Would you say that there's a shift or do you see a shift coming in people reevaluating that? Or do you not agree with my assessment that sharing economy still has a positive rep? Uh, I would agree that overall people love it because they use these services on a daily basis. And I should point out that one of my goals is to try to make people see that the sharing economy isn't just a, you know, a few flashy smartphone apps, but it's just the natural result of technology continually driving down transaction costs. This is all about making it easier for people to find customers, market their businesses, complete transactions, all the different steps. It's making the world a smaller place and making individuals more easily able to support themselves by working for themselves. But to the, your point on if the sharing economy is popular, I think that there is some sort of shift. You see a lot of these companies weighing in heavily when it comes to public policy debates. And I do a lot of talks in state capitals. And I can tell you that Uber used to be universally applauded. People would say things like, we need to Uberize our state government or, oh, I love Uber. I can't wait for them to come here. But now it's about, oh, that liberal company that is against our agenda. I think that a lot of Republicans, because of politics, are starting to sour on it because of these specific large companies. And a lot of Democrats with unions continual opposition to anything that promotes independent work because then they can't collectively bargain. You're seeing a lot of Democrats start to think that this is just another way that companies are taking advantage of workers. And on top of that, some of the scandals and internal problems that some of these companies faced they kind of spread the bad rep throughout the whole sharing economy altogether. You brought up the Uber example, their CEO stepping down, some diversity uh, and workplace safety issues that they had. Those all reflected on other companies that were in the same space, even though they shouldn't have. If one oil company went down or did something wrong, that wouldn't spread throughout the industry. But I think in people's minds, because we use the term sharing economy so much or gig economy, um, it just kind of, it's a one whole thing. Yeah. And like I view the sharing economy a lot more of someone who works a full-time job on the Hill and then during evenings or mornings and on the weekend goes and freelances as a yoga teacher all over the DC area. And that's they should, the kind because of thing. Do you guys know how much staffers get paid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way to survive. Sorry, you were saying yoga teachers? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's these types of jobs where it's now easier to find independent work. So I think keeping that in mind, because you're right, there are companies that have made terrible decisions that have made their names fall down in the public. I know Uber's been on this whole apology campaign now, just issuing uh, commercials saying we're sorry, pretty much. Uh, 
But I see it as, again, a larger than just one industry. This is how the economy is changing. And I think if we got accurate data from BLS that fully showed the whole picture of the economy, we'd see that. Also, since we've used both terms, gig and sharing economy, do you want to say for our users if there is any difference between those term, terms, if you just prefer using one over the other or if they're not fully equal? How I define it, which again is just me defining it because there's no generally agreed upon definition, I just call the sharing economy the natural result of lower transaction costs. And it because people are familiar with the word sharing economy, even though I think it's probably a pretty poor way to describe it, it's something that I continue to use because you don't want to fight another uphill battle of another brand that you create. Gig economy is used more oftenly in a derisive or derisive? Is that a word? I don't know. In a negative way. I don't know. I'm way. foreign. Yeah. You're the American. It's used in a way to uh, talk badly about this type of work. and But I view it as that could be something that's positive too. Like, you know, going and playing a gig, it's side work. So I could see sharing economy as the overall trends that are affecting it and gigs as people who use it for supplemental income. I suggest we start calling this the hustle economy. I think that will be a new term that can energize the masses behind it and bring us into a good, smart regulation future. Yeah, it'd be very hard to be anti-hustle. Yeah, who, who's anti-hustle these days? Not, never on state, never on federal level. So besides the survey design, are there any other factors that might have played a role in the numbers that came out of the survey? Well, I was surprised that the number of even, you know, majority earning independent contractors fell. I would expect that to rise. So again, I'm saying they're taking too narrow of a picture, but I expected even the number they did provide to be going up. I think a major reason for this is because of the cost of healthcare. Like, look, we subsidize people who get healthcare through their employers in this country. It's a massive tax break. I think it's estimated at something like $250 billion a year. But what you've seen is people who don't get access through their employers, they have to buy it on the individual market, where premiums shot up 20% last year. They've tripled, I think, since 2005. But if you're then looking at the employer market, you know, premiums are still going up, but they went up 4% last year rather than 20%. So as a larger share of compensation is being eaten up by healthcare when it comes to employers, I could see a lot of people, myself included, would say, I'd love to do more gig work, but I have to keep my full-time job because without it, healthcare is going to eat up, you know, half of my earnings from, uh, from outside work. So, but what would be a solution from that problem if... People do need health care and health care is really expensive in this country. Uh, how much time we got? And I don't I'm not a healthcare economist, but I would like at least when we're talking about solutions to stop treating people differently, depending on if they're contractors or employees. If we're going to subsidize one, let's subsidize the other. Or if we're not going to subsidize one, let's not subsidize the other. We shouldn't punish entrepreneurship by making them not be able to get access to the tax credits that are provided to wage, you know, hourly workers. Oh, and I should point out, just to answer your question, besides healthcare, also the job market's really strong right now. I mean, there's obviously some questions on uh, labor force participation, but we're finally seeing some positive trends there. But people have suggested that independent work in general is more appealing when the job market is poor. So the strong job market could have something to do with this, though I see healthcare having a way larger effect because I don't know about you, but I'd rather not have a boss. But when... I mean, I love my boss. Hey, Baron. Uh, wouldn't that, though, that argument that you brought that the independent work is way stronger during 
bad labor market days play into the argument that it's just what people turn to when they have don't have other options? Yeah, it could. And that's why I haven't fully bought this. And it's not a complete supported argument, but that's what some people are bringing up as a reason why it fell. All right. So for our listeners who are still with us, even though we talked about some very, very boring agencies and surveys, uh, is there anything else you want them to take away? Your main points, your shtick that you usually do? Uh, The unemployment rate is not fake news. I'm not saying the BLS is an untrustworthy agency. What I am saying is that they had a survey that didn't get a complete picture of independent work and people are running with that and not realizing what it actually measured. There's no reason based on the results of this survey to claim that the sharing economy is dead. Well, long live sharing economy. Jared, thank you for coming for the 25th time on the show. We're always happy to have you and we hope you'll come back soon. All right. Thanks, Ash. You can follow Tech Freedom on Facebook and Twitter at Tech Freedom. Please leave us a review so others can find the show. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.